0: Bruhim Habaym to one and all, to all of the guests and to all of the regulars. How many times does Hashem speak to individuals? Throughout Sefer Bereshus. How many individuals does the Creator of the world speak to throughout Sefer Bereshus? Anybody? Yes. Parai? Where? <laughs> but before Avimelech. Before Avimelech. So you have Adam. You have Adam, right? You have Chava. You have Noyach, very good, you have Kayin, you have the serpent, you have Avraham, you have Yitzchak, you have Yaakov, you have Rivka, you have Avimelech, you have uh, Lavan, right? It's quite interesting, all of the characters that God addresses throughout Sefer Beresh. Thank you very much. But to nobody does he reveal himself amidst a burning bush. How does he reveal himself to them? I don't know. Doesn't say. Somehow, Adam heard Hashem's voice. Somehow, Avraham Avinu heard God tell him, Lech Lecha leave your birthplace. Somehow, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Rivka received the messages they needed to receive. Not through a burning bush, Hashem somehow communicates to them, and they know beyond a doubt that it is a message of Hashem. Suddenly, in Parash Hashem, Hashem addresses a new personality, Moshe Rabbeinu, but he doesn't just speak to him, he doesn't just tell him what he wants to tell him, he doesn't just reveal himself to him, Love Hashem, as it says, by Avram Avinu, he reveals himself to him and communicates to him, rather it happens amidst an entire dramatic performance and scene, known until today as the scene of the burning bush as the snap. And the obvious question is, why? You want to tell Moshe a message, just tell him a message. You told Noyach, important messages. You gave Avram Avinu critical, vital messages that shape destiny. Tell Moshe what you want to tell him. No. To Moshe, the revelation is of a completely different nature amidst the story of the burning bush. What happened suddenly? Why can't he just communicate his message? What's the message behind it, the symbolism behind that story? Obviously, we must deduce from this that the very experience of the burning bush was an essential part of the message. It wasn't only the words, the commandments, the instructions that accompanied the vision of the burning bush. But that very sight, that very experience of Moshe Rabbeinu was somehow indispensable to the message. Why and how? Let's see the words inside source number one, Peri Gimel of, Pse- of Sefer Shmois, chapter three of Exodus. Moshe <speaking in Hebrew> Moses is shepherding the flock of Yisrael, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he leads the flock into the desert and arrives to the mountain of God, Chorev, An angel of God appears to him in a blazing flame from amidst a thorn bush, and Moshe sees the thorn bush is burning, a flame, and yet it's not being consumed. Moshe says, Let me step away and gaze at this great sight. Why doesn't the bush burn? Hashem sees that he moved away to gaze at the bush. So God calls out from amidst the bush, Moshe, Moshe, he says, I am here. Don't come close, God says. Remove your shoes from your feet because you're treading on holy sacred soil. Hashem says, I am the God of your father, the God of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and Moshe hides his face because he is afraid to gaze at Akim at Hashem. And then Hashem continues with the faithful message that I have experienced the tremendous agony and pain of the Jewish people in Egypt, and I want to send you to Mitzrayim to redeem my people. And the story goes on, and the rest, as we say, is history. Comes the Medrash Tanhuma, Parsha Shmais, your second source. Why from amidst a thorn bush? Why not another large tree? Why not a palm tree? God said, "I wrote in Torah." referring to chapter 90 of Tehillim. I am with him in pain and distress. You want to know where I am found while the Jewish people are oppressed in an Egyptian exile? I am also, so to speak, oppressed. I am found in a thorn bush, which is a very uncomfortable, prickly place to be naturally, but I am with my people in their distress, in their agony, in their pain, in their misery and tears. That is the message of the snah. You want to find me, you know where I am? I am within a thorn bush. Not Not in a stupendous, elegant, tall, Beautiful, delightful tree, like the example of a tamar. I assume he I see, he gives that example because the dates, the fruits are delicious. I am rather in a thorn bush in a painful place. Medrash <sumbros> Base. Shal Goy Rabbi Yeshua Ben The question we raised this morning: A Gentile asked Rabbi Yeshua Ben Karach. Why did Hashem speak to Moshe from a thorn bush? Amaloi, Rabbi Yeshua tells this Gentile, I guess he knew who he was dealing with. And let's say God appeared to Moshe in a carib tree, a boxer tree, or a shikmah, a certain type of sycamore fig tree. You would also ask me, why this, why that? But I don't want to leave you without saying anything. So I'll tell you, Why from the Sneh? To teach Moshe there's no place vacant without the presence of the Almighty, without the Divine Presence, even a Sneh. Even a thorn bush, a physically lowly and humble tree filled with thorns, there too the Shekhinah exists, A mock There's no space vacant in the world, in reality, without the Divine Presence, even a Sneh. And then the Medrash Rabbah goes on to give approximately nine or ten different reasons for the revelation through the Sneh. I quoted here another of two, the numerology of the word Samachnun is one twenty, which is the span of Moshe's life. And the Medrash Rabbah continues. From here, the sage said, "A heavenly fire, myla in. It generates uh, blooming, it generates flowers, blossom, it blossoms, it allows the tree to blossom, it burns, but it doesn't destroy, it doesn't eat it up, it doesn't consume it. V'hishchoyerah, the fire is black. A shalmata, a human fire, an earthly fire. A it's not going to generate or produce blossoming flowers. It's going to be red. It's going to eat up the substance it burns. And therefore won't continue burning as long as it has something to consume. The moment it finishes, the fire is gone. Why did he show this to Moshe? Why was it relevant? Bali was thinking, Shema Perhaps the Egyptians are going to destroy the Jewish people. There is a fire that burns, but it doesn't consume that which it burns. Omar Eloi, he was telling Moshe. Just as the bush is burning, but it's not being consumed and destroyed in the fire. This is the story of the Jewish people. The Jewish people are burning. The Egyptians are oppressing them, torturing them, enslaving them, subjugating them. They are burning. But don't ever think that they are going to be consumed, obliterated, destroyed, and decimated. That will not happen. And that sense, the Medrash is saying that Moshe Rabbeinu is observing not only the present of Jewish history of the time, but essentially the future, the destiny of the Jewish people, who sadly, tragically, and horrifically would burn and often burn to a point that the rational human being would gaze at it and say, there is no future, there is certainly that this people, is certain that this people will not survive, this snare will be consumed in the flames of hatred and poisonous venom and oppression and savage suffering, and Hashem is telling Moshe, just know that this snare will not be ukal, it will not be consumed, not in Egypt, and not in the future. As I said, the same Medrash Shraba gives another 9 or 10 symbolisms behind the burning bush vision, which everybody, anyone who wishes, could look up in Medrash Rabbah, Parshas Shmois on these tzuk. Rabbi says, The same question, what's the point of this revelation? The trees were ordinarily used for pagan idolatry. One exception was the thorn bush. Somehow even the pagans didn't feel that the thorn bush is conducive to be worshipped, maybe it was simply uncomfortable to handle. Or as the Das Kainim writes in Chumash, it's very hard to shape it, to carve it into tzlamim, into statues and getchkes. It doesn't lend itself to carving like the other gods. And therefore, it's the tree, it's the bush, that God said, this will never become an avodah he could have used another tree that's not an Avai Zara, but this doesn't even have the potential. Nobody would even think of making an Avai Zara, and therefore it has a purity, and thus it's conducive for the Shekhinah to be revealed there. And the de Dirajbi again gives other reasons. So in the world of Medrash already, we have various reasons, a few we just addressed here. The one in Tanchuma, which is probably the most famous, as it's quoted in Rashi. I am found in the thorns of oppression. Number two, the Shekhinah is everywhere, even in a thorn bush. Number three, the Jewish people will never be destroyed, just like the snare. And number four, it's a place of Tara, where there's no And again, there's many other reasons, the clay, Yockah, the, the, the Sifarno, Rabbeinu Avadia Sifarno and the Kleokar suggest that it's actually an allegory for the Egyptian story. That Moshe Rabbeinu is going to hear from Hashem what he's going to do in Egypt. One plague after another plague after another plague. How long is this going to go for? So he says the Egyptians are going to burn but they won't give up. The bush will not be destroyed. Pyre will remain obstinate. All the way till the end, and the mission will be accomplished of liberating the Jewish people amidst the entire story of the exodus of Egypt. There was once a Jew who came to the Kotzke Rebbe, and he identified himself as an Apikyrus. He's a heretic. He says, that's not called an Apikyrus. You're not an Apikyrus. You're not an Apikyrus. It's pirate. Your whole nation, your whole nation suffers terribly. The water becomes blood, and there's frogs, and there's lice, and there's wild animals, and there's darkness a and he still does not give in. He says, this is an apikotis. You, you'll get a little pinch. You'll already become a believer. So you, this is an apikotis. You're not such a heretic. This is the, the, the Siphanoi's interpretation. The kleiokar gives a very, uh, I don't know if the word is pessimistic or... Uh, Painful, painful interpretation to the snap. I'll just share it with you. I guess it always has a timely lesson. The Kleyakar says that God is telling Marsha, let me tell you about this people you're going to be dealing with. We have a very tough situation. And that is the whole world wants to destroy them. The fire is burning. But they are still like thorns. They're still busy biting each other. (laughs) They're still busy pricking each other. Perforating each other. He says, they are still jealous of each other, fighting each other, gossiping about each other. He says, this Klayoka writes, the jealousy and the hatred among the Jewish people among themselves is unparalleled by other nations. That's what the Klayoka writes on these psuk. And Hashem was telling Moshe Rabbeinu, he says, this is their greatest tragedy. Even when the fire burns, they see that the world does not like them. But nonetheless, they will not stop fighting with each other like thorns that sting and bite and shtech and can't get along with each other. And I guess it's our generation that has to try to heal this. Be'ezir Hashem. So here we have just a little glimpse, and I say this again because we're not exhausting all of the interpretations at all, not even close. But we have a little glimpse of the various ways in which Chazal, our sages and the rabbis and the commentators throughout the generations, appreciated that the vision of the snare was not just a fancy, dramatic way of getting Moshe Rabbeinu's attention. Avram didn't need it, and Noyach didn't need it, and even the serpent of Imalach and Lovin did not need these visions, but rather it was somehow an important message that Moshe Rabbeinu has to hear at this stage when he is about to become the first leader and the first Rebbe and the first Redeemer of the Jewish people. But now, let's go to stage B, step 2. And that is, the vision of the Snah from the perspective of Olam Hanister, From the world of the mystics, which apply the vision to the personal, psychological, and emotional story of the Jewish life. While the rabbis in the Midrash focused and saw the Snah as telling the story of the Jewish people as a cloud, Jewish history, Jewish identity, Jewish destiny, the relationship between Hashem and the Jew as in the above interpretations. The Chachmei Hasid saw this as an instruction, as a message that also guides the individual story of every Jew, individually in addition to our story as a collective people. But as we will see, that these insights also give a new depth and clarity to the literal midrashic interpretations discussed above. <laughs> I think the best way to introduce them is by a fascinating question that was already raised by the Ramban. The Ramban raises a very obvious question in Chumash. Moshe Rabbeinu saw yasne boyer The snow was burning, but it wasn't being consumed. He says, let me go over and gaze at the sneh. And his words in Pasa Gimel, loy yivar hasne. Why doesn't the sneh burn? The sneh was burning. What do you mean, Maduah loy yivar Hasnah? It just says, ha The Ramban raises this question. So, the Ramban. V'hine ha-sneh boyah ketam doylek. Boyah means Burning. He proves it from sukkah. Madu yivar lo ve'ayach. Here La doesn't mean burning. It means why doesn't it get burnt up? Consumed. Not burning. It's burning. Why is it not consumed? V'chein das on This is the view of Tiger Monklus. game, he says, take a look at Tiger Monklus. There's a difference of how he translates Boir in Pasek Beis, Sh'moy's Paira Gimel and Yivar in Gimel. In Pasig Bay, what does Uncle say? Vineh asna boye bayish. So it says vahasna bar beeshasah. That's what the Ramban quotes. Shetir de Marishayin bar hasna boyer in Aramaic is bar. It's burning. Now you come to Pasig Gimel hasheni. The second time it says yivar. The targum the says, Marish Rabbeinu says, Modein loy mi asana. Why is the snare not? Being in a, why is it not being mitoikad? Mitoikad from the word, being consumed, being burnt, right? You could ace al-moikda a Be consumed on the mezbeach. Why does the Targum change from boyer to yivar? It's the same etymology. Says the Ramban, you see that Targum Unculus was perturbed by this problem. And that's what the Targum says. Yivar doesn't mean buyer. Buyer means burning. Yivar means consumed. But the Ramban is, of course, troubled by this. One pasuk apart from each other with very different meanings. So the Ramban ki derech zachus la It's part of the system of loshin kodesh. Royhvim and he gives an example. Rojvim A Ayorim Usloy Ayorim Lahem. I quoted here the full pasik, so we should see it from Sefer Shaiftim, the book of Judges, chapter 10. He had 30 sons riding on 30 donkeys, Ayarim Lahem, and they had 30 cities. So the Ramban says, obviously, Ayarim in the first half of the Pasik is donkeys. The second half of the pasik it means cities. So why does the Torah do Why does the Tanakh do it? Specifically, it's a certain aesthetic way of communication what we call in in our slang we call it pun meaning you use one term that is a replica of the previous term as somehow some poetic form of communication understanding that it has two meanings so that's why the passage says comes the chizkuni who is not very satisfied with this interpretation of the Ramban, and he says, Madua la Yivar mikre The pasik is missing, so to speak, missing a word. He doesn't mean literally missing that you have to insert a word. He just means it's written in a way that we have to explain it with an extra word. Madua lo Yivar is not one sentence, it's two sentences. Moshe comes to the and he says, Madua, Madua. Why is it not being consumed? Is it not burning? He really turns away, he turns around the entire nigid, the entire melody of the Pasad. We read the Pasek, Why is it not being consumed? The Chiskuni says, no, Why is it not being consumed? Is it not burning? That's what he says. Do I not see that it's not Now this is quite an original interpretation of the Chiskuni to turn around the melody of the posik Obviously it's not the literal reading of the is it not burning? But we see here how the commentator struggled with this word of Moshe Rabbeinu saying, Why is the sun not burning? Which now is a portal to lead us into the next world. In the world of Kabbalah, there is a lot on the Sna. In the writings of the Arizals, and we'll soon see from Zoyar, the Ponom Following the world of Kabbalah and the world of Hasidus, there is fascinating interpretations of this vision and the meaning of it, particularly from a few individuals. There is an interpretation of the Balshamtiv that was communicated to his student, the Magad of Mizrich, who communicated it to his student, Rabbi Shneur Zalman of Liadi, the Balatanya, who publicly, who publicly repeated this at a debate. A fascinating debate that took place—a public debate that took place in the year Tavkhuf Mem Gimel, 1783, in the city of Minsk. Minsk is today the capital of Belarus. It was one of the greatest fortresses of the world of the opponent of the Jews who were opponents to Hasidim and Hasidus in its early development. And in Tavkhuf, it's 1783 there was a public debate between the Balatanya and some of the greatest Roshishivas and gaonim of Minsk about the new derech, the path and sheet of Hasidus. Remember, this is still enduring the life of the Vilna Gaon. And during that debate, the Balatanya gives over an interpretation he heard from the Maggid, he heard from the Moshemteth. That's one. The Neyam Ali the Rebbe Reb Melech of Legensk, who was a student of the Maggid of Mezrech, has his interpretation on this story in a Sefer Neyam Ali Derbele Melech of had a student, Jepkloinimus Kalman Alevi Epstein, who wrote a sefer, Moir V'shemesh, and he has his interpretation on this story. The Baal Shemtev had a grandson. His daughter, Odu, had a son known as the Degel Machine Ephraim, who has his interpretation on this story. And then you have the Tzamaht tzedek, the Rebbe de Tzemach who was a grandson of the Balatanya, the third Chabad, Rebbe, Rebbe Menachem Mendel of Lubavitch, the son of the daughter of the Alter Rebbe, the Alter Balatanya, who has another interpretation on this. Now, I wish I would be able to go through all of these perspectives. They're each fascinating. Knowing myself, I know that it's not going to happen, but we'll begin and see where this journey takes us. And remember that it never get, the tree never gets consumed, so therefore we can uh, always continue uh, the journey and the process. Let's begin with the interpretation of the Tzemach tzedek, and then we will go to the Degel Mach Ephraim. These interpretations I find not only fascinating, but very powerfully meaningful. Because as you'll see, they address The dilemmas, the struggles, and the challenges that every serious Jew and human being must confront to this very day in his or her path towards enlightenment, towards honesty, towards meaning, towards fulfillment, a life, towards a relationship with Hashem. A serious, sincere person must confront certain challenges as we shall see. And according to these... According to these masters, to these rebbes, to these tzaddikim, this is what the Sneh addressed. So let's begin with the next source. It's your last source on, on the first side. Lukut It's in a, se- it's a separate discussion. Shlach, Tafmemheim, Maimir Inyan Hatchelos. is one of the great works of the Balatanya of his discourses that he would give over almost every Shabbos and Yomtif, compiled in two svarim, torah Oir er, and Lakuta Torah, by his grandson, the Tzamach Tzedek. torah er, Lakuta Torah, vayikra b'midbar dvarim. Parsha shlacht is a mimer on the tcheles, the meaning of the turquoise wool that had to accompany the tzitzis, there's two parts to every tzitzis, the lovan and the tcheles, the white part that we still have. I know there was a Shia not long ago here on the tcheles. I don't know if anybody embraced cheles as a result of that sheer, but there are those who, who embrace the idea that we have discovered cheles from the Radzina Rebbe, Balat Cheles, and, uh, and then we have the love and the white part, and that mime of the Balataya discusses that dynamic of love and cheles. In middle of the mime, he says, V'zel inyen eretz yoshveha. We're going to be introduced here to Kabbalistic and mystical terminology. Don't be afraid. I'm going to try to explain it to the best of our ability. The Mirabli made a statement that Eretz Yisrael is a land that eats up its inhabitants. Now, you all understand that serious students of Chumash, whenever they see two words in different stories, but they're similar words, the light bulbs go on. Oicheles chelos reminds us of Hasna Einenu uko. The meraglim said, "Eretz Israel is a land that eats up its resident; it eats up its inhabitants." And if you follow Eretz Yisrael, you know exactly what the meraglim were talking about. Probably says the Balatani Rakhsham meraglim amruz eloloshin harikyam meraglim shakronim hoyu. Chazal say the meraglim were liars. They were liars. They wanted to invoke. They wanted to inculcate fear. Avol beemes Shwach. lishvach. Beemes ere tzichelus yishver is a shvach. It's a praise. Ki atem advekim baShem because you're connected to God, so you're alive. Chayim kol chemayim. What does he mean with this pasuk? Parshas and he relies that the learner will know exactly what he means and what he's talking about. Now there's a bracket on the Kutut Torah, which is a footnote that was added by the grandson of the author of this mimer, as I mentioned, the Rebbe de Samach Says the Tzemach quoting Zoya Parshas Bereshus, to explain his grandfather's words. Tochazi, come and here, come and see. Lishait Saw Kolmad is Dabigbay even though it's the nature of this blue dark fire. Tichla is blue, Uchma is dark, black. Lish to destroy, to eat up anything that is under it, anything that has the bad luck. To go under the black-blue fire, which is the color of a flame burning something up. Whether it's a wick, or it's a log, or any other flammable substance. So the nature of the flame is to eat up, to destroy, to obliterate. Anything that comes under it, says the Zoyar, there is an exception. Earlier in Zoyar, Parshas Bereshis, they asked Shimon by the following question. There's a posseh where Moshe Rabbeinu says in Dvarim, Hashem elekecho eish oichlohu. God, your God, is a fire that eats up, that consumes. There's another posseh Moshe Rabbeinu says in Veschanan in Dvarim, and you who are connected to God are alive. As they ask Shib Shimon, if God is fire, so by connecting to God, you should be consumed, not Chayim. So Rabbi Shimon Ba'yachai says, you're right. Normally fire consumes and obliterates everything that's under it. But Yisrael, Mizdapkim Beitachtai, Vikhaiman Bekiyuma. But the Jew is connected to him and remains intact. Hadurudiksev, that's why the Post says, You're connected, you're Davuk, but you're still Chayim. You're alive. the meaning of the Zayar is what he means that the common structure, the common nature is for the fire to burn when the angels complained that the world should not be created because man will be corrupt so the Gemara says in Sanhedrin I think that God put he stuck out his little pinky so to speak between them and they were burnt This was the gossip of the Miraglum. They said Eretz Yisrael is a dangerous place because it's a holy place. It's a godly land. And if it's a godly land, it's dangerous. A relationship with Hashem creates what's called Bittle, Nullification, abnegation. You cease to exist. It's an Eretz, which I cheles, Yahshua, it destroys anything that comes under it. It's a fire. This is what the Miraglum said. If God puts his finger among you, you're burnt up. The Miraglum told the Jews, you want to exist, stay away from the fire. This is not true. Why? It's the other way around. Why is it the other way around? is the main life of a person comes from Bethlehem from this relationship. <laughs> Bittol never means that it destroys, it nullifies, God forbid, your reality completely. <laughs> Over there, he didn't. it's not that he sticks out his finger and he gets destroyed. Over there, there was a special penalty for what the angels did. <laughs> And Hashem, it's the other way around. Through being Dawuk, through having Dveikus with the fire, that's when you begin actually to live. What's the reason? The Zohar says that there is a difference between higher things and lower things. Meaning, anything in the flame gets submerged in the flame. But things that are milagasa, which means dense, thick substances, they get destroyed in the flame. Hare we see from the milagasa. The blue fire only destroys thick, dense... Dense substances. The hainu, which spiritually means ha'yesh yesh she klipas shu dover zor This represents the yesh, the ego, of... Klipa of the shells that obscure godliness, which are completely alien. It can't be submerged in God's So what has to happen is the shell, the klipa has to be removed and eliminated because it can't be elevated. de la but those who are above are higher. Shame bittle the dikdusha who essentially come from holiness even though they also are submerged in the flame of God's malchus with nullification this never destroys them on the contrary this is the ultimate perfection of their metzius, of their reality the answer, it's possible this is the meaning of the snap. We just learned in the Medrash that a God's fire, it burns, but it doesn't eat up. The same Medrash says that who does the "sna" refer to? The Jewish people. There's a fire, but they're not consumed, they're not eaten up. V'chey ma'ash, v'begemarah, say, pey deg'vav, the deshab, deshab, samach, zayin, amir, alof, hasne, hasne, mishum demayiches mikol elani, the Gemara speaks there about a special remedy that's given for a person who's suffering from kadachas, and at one point he says, hasne, hasne, you're the lowest of all the trees, as a metaphor for the person. v'heyino al-darech hi'atam ha'ma'at mikol ha'amim, sh'mashpil l'mesatzum al-darech v'anaychiyofa ve'ifah. The sneh, which is physically a very humble birth, is Like it says about the Jews, you're the smallest of all the nations, and Chazal say you humble yourself. So the snare is the Jew. The snare is burning. You would think that the snare, when it's burning with God's fire, should be consumed. So the pasuk is saying that snare, and the snare is not being consumed. Val-kain, he gives another few foot, a few references. Val-kain, the next paragraph even though the fire burns up the bush that the fire of love goes into the Jewish soul to the point that there is ayesh, which means the yesh is nullified in don't think it destroys them this is the primary source of life of identity of existence from this from this and he goes goes through another many footnotes in... In Chazal and Kabbalah, and concludes with Kumei Shakas, of the pasuk says in Mishway, Yiras Hashem lechayim. Another pasuk in Mishle, Perik Yud, Yiras Hashem toisif yamim. All of God adds life. All of God increases days. Malchus Your malchus is the source of life. Anem shek the more malchus you have, the more life you have, because that is your life. If you're separated, that's when you have no real life. Which means the primary source of chayis, the primary source of existence of identity is this concept of bitl. This is one piece of L'Qudu Torah the end of the footnote of the Tzemach Tzadk. Now, allow me to try to explain at least one point of what the Rebbe de Tzermach, the and is trying to explain in the words of his grandfather. One of the most charged words in, in the world of Yiddishkeit, especially in the world of Nisr, in the world of Kabbalah, and even more in the world of Musr, and in the world of Chassidus, is, in the words of the Mishnah of Perkei Avos, Mepnei the word battle, bitl, as in halacha in Yaradaya, Bittle, Bittle Bashishim, Bittle Bameya, Bittle Baray, Bittle Baalith, means to nullify, obliterate, it's battle. Butl bamiyuta, it's bottle, it's it's bottl nish, it ceases to be. How do we understand the concept of bittle? If you'll see any English translation of the word Bittu, it's usually self self nullification, self-abnegation, self-obliteration, or any other adjective you would like to use for the concept of Bittu. When Moshe Rabbeinu is being introduced the first time to the creator of the world who is charging him on a mission, not just individually, it's not a story like Noyach, to build a Teva and save himself. Or even a story like Yitzchak or Yaakov or Rivk or even Avram Avinu, which deals with their individual lives and journeys, whether it's Lech Lecha or the Akedah, despite the fact that these journeys will affect history as the story of Avram. This revelation is a revelation to Moshe Rabbeinu, not as an individual. This is to Moshe Rabbeinu as Rabban Shal Yisrael, as the person who is going to mold a new nation and is going to give them Torah and Mitzvahs, and is going to outline and define the journey and the mission of the Jewish people from that day, by when they leave Egypt, throughout the course of history, till Biyaz Goyal sadek, and after that as well. At this moment, says, says it's a Machsadik. God addresses one of the greatest questions, perhaps, on religion or Judaism. And it's a question I almost get every single day, in one form or another form. It's questions we ask ourselves, it's questions our children ask of us, it's questions that bother and perturb many people in a very deep place, and to put it in this most simplest and blunt term, it's one question. And that is, does religion destroy people? Does religion crush people? Does religion repress people? Does the word bitter mean you are ultimately worthless, meaningless, valueless? And your ultimate is to become a complete shmata and to realize it and smile. throughout the process. Now this question comes in so many different forms and fashions. Sometimes people articulate it this way, they may articulate it in a different way. The question has many manifestations and many ways in which it can be asked. But the question is really one question, and that is, what does it mean to have a real relationship with God? What do you give up for a relationship? A relationship by definition means you give something up. A woman once said, "Before I was married, I was incomplete. Now I'm married and I'm finished." In a relationship, there's give and there's take. What does it mean to have a relationship with God? The Baal Shem Tov once said, "Fire is a unique type of thing. There's no such a thing sitting in a fire and enjoying it a little bit. Either you stay away from the fire." And then you can enjoy it. If you start putting your pinky into the fire, then Yisgadal is Gadash. It can't work both ways. Either you're in and you get consumed, or you stay away. Hashem What does it really mean to be a yid? What does it mean to have a real relationship with God? What is the concept of Kabbalah's ol malchus shemaim, accepting the kingdom of Hashem? What is the concept of bittul bater yourself to the ratzon Hashem, to the will of God, to the wisdom of God, to the perspective of Hashem? This is the question that Hashem is answering Moshe Rabbeinu at this moment. You're going to liberate a people, and you're going to take them out from slavery. To what? Aren't you going to be putting them into another form of slavery? I remember a yeshiva student once asked me, he says, I don't understand. We celebrate Yitzias Svitzrayim because we came out of prison. He says, we went into a much worse prison. I said, why? He said, at least Parai doesn't know what you're doing in the bathroom. At least over there you're free. He says, with Hashem we say, He knows everything and even in your most private places, He knows what you're doing. And you're responsible for what you're doing in the privacy of your bedroom. He says, now I have not even an ounce of freedom. What am I celebrating? So you're taking the Jewish people out of one form of slavery, and you're saying, to become my of it, to become my slave. So we substitute one form of slave for another form of slavery. So what's so exciting about this? This is what this yeshiva student asked me. And this is the vision that Moshe Rabbeinu sees at this moment. The snare is burning with fire. Which fire? So he titers the fire is A fire of a relationship, of a love, of an emotional relationship with Hashem. And yet the snare does not get burnt up. Why not? But it doesn't fire destroy, doesn't fire consume. And this is the very subtle distinction which he is making here in this mimer. And what it is, briefly what it is, is as follows. Perhaps one very interesting way of illustrating it is through a story. There was a chassid who wanted to buy his rebbe, the Balatanya, a gift. So he bought him what's called a shmeck tabak box. You know what a shmeck tabak box is—a beautiful silver, uh, what is it called? Snuff, snuff of tobacco. A beautiful silver box for snuff of snuff, and he presents it to Rabbi Schneeh Zalman of Liadi, who responds and says, There is still one limb in the body that is not a baltaiva. There is one limb in the body that is not addicted naturally to materialistic cravings, the nose. The nose is still a pretty innocent limb, relatively speaking. You never have a guy come to Shul and say, Last night I sinned with my nose, it was unbelievable. The eyes, the ears, other parts of the body, we understand. But the nose is relatively innocent. But the in writes it was the only, the only organ that wasn't involved in the, from the five senses, it was the only organ that wasn't involved in the eight That's what the Yesasha writes. That Chava saw the fruits, so it was beautiful. Of course, she touched it, she listened to the nachash, right? And of course, she ate it, she tasted it. But the nose wasn't involved in the eight sada, so therefore the nose remains innocent. So the Balatanya said, So now you're going to cause this nose also to become a Baltaiva. So the way the story went was, he took it and he broke the cover of the box, and he used it for a mirror for his tefillin shalosh to make sure it's in the right spot. The person telling the story said it over to the tzamach his grandson, and he said it in Yiddish. And he said, "Iyazei the grandfather hotzubrachen." He broke the cover, and he used it for tefillin. So the tzamach interrupted him, and I'll say it in Yiddish and then translate. He said, "No." The is My grandfather wasn't capable of breaking, not himself and not others. What he did was, he removed the hinge connecting the cover from the box, and once he removed the hinge, then he could use it for tefillin. What did he mean? The person said, your grandfather broke off the box. He said, no, he wasn't capable of breaking. The word bittel, the word faith, The word religion, the word Yiddishkeit could be experienced and explained in two different ways completely with very different results on the person who's being educated and inspired or taught this path. One is, it breaks. And one is, it never breaks. And it's the difference of how you ultimately define what bitterness and it really depends how you see yourself. Fire destroys that which is not part of the fire. That which is a substance, like he says here in Zaya Milagasa, it's a thick, dense substance, the fire comes and destroys it. You put in a log and after some hours the fire has consumed the log. But something that's part of the fire itself, that's part of the fire. It doesn't get destroyed by the fire. It becomes part of the fire. If you have one flame that's brought near another flame, the other flame doesn't get destroyed by the fire. It becomes submerged, elevated, and part and parcel of the larger flame. You take a small flame, you put it near a large bonfire, the two become one. Says the Zoya, Bipo notification is for the klipa. For the shell, for the husk, for that which is thick and dense and it blocks the light. That's when the fire is hacholot consumes it. But va'atam, you advekim ba'shem al You are It's exactly the opposite. It's chayim kol The objective of Yiddishkeit is saying is not to destroy you, to crush you, to repress you. On the contrary, realize who you are. If we look at ourselves, if we look at a human being, as essentially a piece of evil, a piece of darkness, a piece of negativity, somebody who's unworthy, somebody who is distant, somebody who represents darkness and bad, evil, then we are pre- you understand, as nullify yourself. But what he's saying is, you have to understand what an Ashama is. An Hashem essentially is a chelik ma. it's completely part of Hashem. So, a relationship with Hashem doesn't mean obliteration of the self. A relationship with Hashem means actualization of self. The Meraglim came and said, "Eretz aichelus yeshvahayi." To live in Eretz soul means you cease to exist. If there's Eretz Yisroel, there's no you. If the snare is burning, there's nothing left. He says this was a sheker. They were shakron, and why were they lying? Because it's not the case. It's the other way around that ultimately what Yiddishkeit wants from the person is that they should realize and get in touch with their deepest deepest self which is part of the divine and because it's part of the divine so therefore it's never about breaking you, it's about bringing out your pneus, your depths and allowing you to actualize your greatest potential as you are consumed with that fire so therefore when Moshu Rabbeinu sees the snare, he's not seeing something, that the Destroys the snah, Hasnain and the Wukho. a fire, the fire doesn't destroy you. The fire, on the contrary, allows you to shine that your true depth should emerge in this Sna. And that was the significance of the vision of the Sna. That's why he said, My Zaydah didn't break. Even Tfilin, what's Tfilin? Tfilin is Shibud HaRav Amayach, it's subjugating your heart and your mind to God. So how do you use this thing for filling? You don't break it. You remove the hinges. Sometimes we're addicted. We're connected to our lowly nature and therefore we're incapable of seeing who we really are. So the bittu that's necessary is simply to remove the hinges, to remove those addictions, to remove those habits, those instincts, those connections that are slapping you down and don't allow you to soar. They don't allow you to realize who you really are, what your true depth is, what your true personality is, what your true needs are, what your true yearnings are. You're being spot- DOWN! psychologically, emotionally, physically by a perception of self that is completely enslaved to things that are ultimately alien to you. And that becomes the you. That's where you need the bitto. But it's not to break. It's not to crush you. It's to actually allow the you, the real you, the ultimate you, the authentic you to emerge in its full glory. And therefore, a relationship with a fire of Hashem ultimately means the deepest relationship with you, with yourself, because who are you? you you is essentially a reflection of God's you as the neshama is. This is perspective number one in the this. Clear? Anybody has questions? Okay, so now let's go to step two. The Degel Machime Ephraim. This is the last source here. Who was the Degel Machenei Ephraim? Reb Moshe Chaim Ephraim of Sedelkov, as I mentioned, was a grandson of the Balshamtiv. The Balshamtiv had a daughter, Odul, and Odul had a son who wrote a safer Degel Machenei Ephraim. He was the Rav in Sedelkov in the Ukraine, and then he moved to mezherbush his grandfather's city, where he passed away in the year Tovkov Samach, 1800, and he's buried, if you go to mezherbush he's buried right near his Zayda, the Holy Baal Tev, and he's known as the Degel Machene Ephraim. On Parsha Shmois, he has a shtickle here. Let's see what he says. He quotes the Psukim. He quotes all the Psukim, the first three lines, and then he says, third line, I'm going to explain this based on what God graced me as an insight when I was, Mechurpi uh, is an expression of Iyav, when I was young, my early years, when I was young and strong, in his compassion and kindness, and I'm going to share with you my thoughts. Based on something I heard from my grandfather, the Baal What did I hear from the Baal The alien thoughts that come to a person in the middle of davening, a person is davening, and in the middle of davening, he's overtaken by all types of thoughts about everybody and everything. Besides the prayer, there was once a mashkiach sitting with his bochram, and he says, you know, I don't understand how you have the chutzpah. In the middle of davening, you're thinking about everything else, and then at the end of Shvenasa, you say, in fi Everything I said should be accepted by you with grace the Bacha said, it's simple. When we say Yiyu Ratzim, we're also thinking about something else. It's not a problem. Somebody once said, that's Pshadim Tehillim. It says, vasusem, b'shem Hashem naske. What does it mean? It means when a Gentile wants to travel somewhere, so he needs a chariot and he needs horses. If you want to travel from here to Melbourne, you have to get onto a plane and fly. If we want to travel somewhere, all you got to do is start davening. Say, mention God's name, and you're off on a first class flight wherever you want in the world. The best food, the best vacation, the best shopping, everything. The greatest real estate deals, you go, you come back, you finish my you're like, wow, that was fast. You come back, you land your baggage is waiting for you and you're good to go and say unless it's somebody's yard sign so I heard from my grandfather the Baal <laughs> they said there was a Yid who once came to a big tzaddik and he said that he has a big court case with a parrits an overlord who was taking him to court about some dispute So his Rebbe says, so you'll say this and this. He says, yeah, but if I say this and this, he might concoct this new complaint. He says, so you'll say this and this. He said, but then he might say something else. He says, so you'll say this. He says, yeah, but he might come up with this story. He says, Yene David Menesra, Daigenisht. That guy doesn't Davinich Menesra. He won't come up with all of these brilliant schemes and plans and ideas like you. He he says what comes to his mind. You have this uh, unique time. I once saw a sign in a shul, Asr lehispalol b'sha'as ha right? You're not allowed a Dava while, you, while you're talking. Machshavah Zaris is the theme that Redagamach and Ephraim is going to talk about. So my father, my, my Zayda said that it's ultimately to elevate the sparks in those thoughts. But you have to know how to do it. Derech not just makshavis, I gotta go to the cleaners or I gotta answer my phone or have an appointment. The makshavis are really disturbing. They're about snos, immoral, immoral relationships. Yavin, he should understand. If it's a concept of Znus, relationships, there's an element of love there. You want closeness, you're looking for intimacy. There's a void in you, and this is going to meet your void. But it all comes from one source. All love comes from one source. God's God's love. So this is really a message to you to elevate yourself and sublimate the sparks in those thoughts by using this as a message to come back to the real love you're looking for. I think that's the explanation of this in a psychological terms. We don't just go places with our thoughts. We need certain things. We have voids. And this is somehow filling a void in me. So instead of filling your void dysfunctionally, immorally, hollow in a hollow way, take the sparks here that fell down, meaning the source of it is God's love. Wholesome love, real love, authentic love, eternal love, love that builds. But it fell down into this distorted image that you're having in your makshavah zara. So what you want to do is, don't, don't fall prey to the external veneer, because that's not what you're looking for. Use this as an opportunity to examine and find the real love you need. What happens if your machshav is fear? You're dreading your boss. You're dreading your mother-in-law. You're dreading your husband. You're dreading your wife. You're dreading your employee. You're dreading the appointment. You're dreading. You're just dreading somebody or something. That's the machshav zara. Now it's not love. Now it's yira. So now connect yourself to the source of all awe. The reason you're afraid of people is because you don't have a powerful relationship with God. The B'A'Shamtah's father told them, the only one you should fear in the world is Hashem and don't fear any other person. Fear nobody and nothing but Hashem. It's not separate things. If you fear God, you don't have to fear anybody else. If you don't fear God, you're going to be scared of somebody because people are scary. <laughs> Some people is a What happens if you start having this machshav of this need to boost yourself? You know, to say how good you are. Yet So connected to the beauty, to the splendor, to the harmony of Hashem, understand this. This I heard from my zayde. This I heard from Isaiah, this is what you should do. Now here I have to just give a little parenthesis, and that is the Balatanya in Tanya, chapter 28, quotes this idea, and he says, Don't be a shaita to think that you're always capable of this. He says, because if you are really an addict, if you really struggle with these things, by engaging them, they will kill you. So sometimes you simply have to reject, you have to say, not now. In other words, in an ideal world, when you can detach yourself from these makshavas and you could say, okay, let me go here and let me find the spiritual message behind it, then you can elevate it. If not, it can actually be a trap. But objectively, this is a very important idea of the Baal Whether you can always do it. It attacks you, you have to know who you are. If you're not very, very pure, it may be a tremendous trap. But the objective idea is when we have all these thoughts and emotions that fall into us that are very alienated, don't get scared, don't get afraid. On the contrary, there's a message here, there's a spark here from holiness. It fell down very low. It looks bad, it looks dark, it looks evil. It's not in its depths, and it can be an opportunity for what's called in Hasidus, Ha'alos, and us, elevating the sparks. This is what happens here in this story. This is full of thorns, the postage, says in Yeshaya. Thorns that need to be cut, meaning a person is experiencing tremendous thorns. What does this mean, <speaking in Hebrew> You hear Moshe's struggle. Moshe's Ayid gets up to daven. He wants to have a relationship with the Rubbina Shalila. And you know what? He lights a fire. He lights a fire. The sun is burning. There's passion, there's emotion. This seems like to be an authentic relationship. There's a fire, it's burning, it's a fire. It's a and suddenly, whoa, suddenly he sees, The thorny thoughts. All those machsavas, he thought he was having a relationship. He thought he was refined. He thought he was somewhat spiritual. He thought he was somewhat human, somewhat ethical. Suddenly he sees, The devil... Is fully intact. All the thorny thoughts, instincts, emotions, addictions, pressures, bird pressures burdens, alien machshavas, as he puts it, klipis, marimbishin, all of it. Rishayim klipis machshavas are is From the worst, they're all there. Nothing was consumed. And Moshe says, What am I doing wrong? Why doesn't the snare become consumed? And this is a major question of life. Anybody who takes Avodis Hashem seriously knows that in the midst of your journey, of your process, suddenly you're confronted by all types of emotions or thoughts that completely you, drag you down and they prove to you that perhaps the fire was never, ever real. It was fake. Now you understand the answer to the Ramban's question? What was the Ramban's question? Why does Maishah say, Madu'aloi <laughs> yivar You understand what he's saying? Madu'aloi yivar asne? realizes if it's not being consumed, it means there's no fire. It was a fake fire. It was an artificial, an artificial, not a real fire. If it would be a real fire, it has to eat up the bush. That means my fire is fake. That means my avoidance Hashem is delusional. That means my relationship with God is a celestial fantasy that has no real bearing on my real life because if it would have real bearing on my real life, I would be a transformed person. The snow wouldn't be here anymore. Where are all these thorns coming from? Where are all these... C- contradictions, confrontations, depressions, ups and downs, the roller coaster of the emotional life. Where is it coming from? What happened to the fire? <laughs> the snow is not on fire. This is the existential angst that the Ayyved Hashem asks. That after work and work and work, ultimately he or she feels he didn't get anywhere did not reach any destination because the snare fully intact vayara sham ki soleyros god saw that moisha turns to look hayna legoidl kharz they were to vishal sham is boroh boroh khumi yad vayara sham ki soleyros with psychic leidam moisha wants to know what's pshat. miadn israav in his galmay love mitay eysan amakhshav so from the snare from the thorns, God reveals himself. This very sneh that you thought were the ultimate proof of your alienation, that's where he's calling you from. And he teaches him something, a secret. Take off your shoes. Take away the shell of those thoughts, extricate the sparks, and bring them back to their source. Because you're standing on holy soil. Priceless works. You're standing on a holy space. Your level is kodesh. And your, whole, your davening is also holy. What do you mean it's holy? Take a look at yourself. Look at your mind. This is called holy. What do you mean you're holy? Listen to these words. So what Hashem says. The word avicha means your father, but the source of the word avicha is Miloshin kemaiva avisa tehila. Of, like Ava, comes from the word Ava, which means want. Anoichi alakei avicha means I'm the God of your desires. I'm the God of your Tavis. <laughs> I am the God of all those Taibas. Don't look at all your Taibas and see them as a proof that you're alienated from me. I am the inner the and there's a in all of them who are begging and yearning and craving for you to ultimately find healing in yourself and bring them to healing by sublimating them back to their source. And then he continues. Sometimes the thoughts, are what is that? It's the God of Chesed that fell down all the way into this lowly place so that you could liberate the godliness in these thoughts is craving to go back to its source. They you have the sparks of year that you got to bring back to year. It's not there to nullify you, to take you away from fillets to elevate you from your source. This is what Moshe Rabbeinu experienced. Now let's understand what the Degemaq and Ephraim says. He says it on one level, but I think it also applies to the level of the ordinary person who may not always be able to elevate in the middle of davening, as it says in Tanya 28. And that is that the great struggle, one of the great struggles of Avodah Hashem is, very, is, this, is this very question. Ultimately, it feels futile at some point. It feels extremely unsuccessful. It feels that wherever a person reaches, can we really get rid of our addictions and our depressions and our, our difficulties emotions, our hatred and our envy and our sadness and our, our doubts, our confusions ultimately most people can't transform themselves into that tzaddik, that superhuman being who's completely cleansed, who's completely pure and what do we do as a result? So some of us become delusional Delusional means we decide in our minds that we're tzaddikim. We close our eyes during Shabbat and we lift up our hands. It looks good to ourselves and to the others, but inside we really know what's going on if we're honest. And if we're not honest, we just live a life of delusion, which is always a very painful life. Some of us, especially in today's day, become disillusioned. And we say, why should I start, embark on a process that's completely unsuccessful, it's not going anywhere. You become disillusioned and you just, you know, you do it for the family, you do it for the kids, you know, if you're married with kids, Already I have kids. What should I do? Quit. So you know, it just it becomes part of the culture, and hopefully, the kiddush after davening will will be a good reward for the fact that you had to sit through you had to sit through the davening, and that works for some people. And everyone deals with it in a different way. What the Dagal Machin Ephraim is teaching us here is that this is what Hashem is teaching Moshe Rabbeinu at this moment. You're going to get this snail on fire because everybody has a fire. Everyone has a fire. Everyone is pure on some level. But you're going to see that the thorns are not being consumed. And your first question is going to be, Madu what am I doing wrong? Either the fire is fake, either the fire is fake, or the thorns are fake. In other words, either I'm really a big tzaddik and my thorns are not real, or I'm really a big rasha, I'm just a grubyung and the fire is nothing. Both are lies. The thorns are real. <laughs> Thorns are real, you ain't perfect. But don't think that the fire is not real. So Moshe says, He's not only asking for himself, he's asking for every Jew he's going to lead till the end of generations. Why am I not on fire? And the first thing Hashem says is, The greatest mistake that people make in life is, you know where Kedush is, over there. You know where Kedush is, by him. By her, in that place, by that person, that's where holiness is. When, when, when I reach that place, when I come there, when I go here, that's where I will find God. No. Your challenges to discover Kedusha right here, right now, in the very place you sent. take off your shoes, off your feet, and respect and cherish your process, your journey, your reality, as somebody who's striving to come close to truth. Does it have thorns? Of course it has thorns. Will the thorns be destroyed? Absolutely not. Hasnain <laughs> <laughs> and Does that delegitimize your of Hashem? No. Why not? There's two levels. The devil, Makhnesim says, that's part of God. Those thorns are really divine. They're there begging you for their sublimation there are opportunities for you to increase your avoidance Hashem amazing interpretation I am the God behind every taiva. every emotion that you feel is the most powerful, grotesque alienating factor from God is essentially an extension of me it's just lost in translation, and your job is to discover its true shayush. That's the process of Allah because every negative distracting thought is essentially an invitation for deeper healing, for deeper discovery, for deeper self-awareness, for deeper Hashem, for deeper emas. And then on another level, but on the same note, is what the Tanya says. And that is. Hashem did not create everybody to be a tzaddik. Certain people are capable of being tzaddikim, and they have to be tzaddikim. Most people are not capable of being tzaddikim. Most people, their role is, in His words, to be the benimi. The benimi is the Jew who doesn't win, but he also doesn't lose, never loses, fights. And in that very fight, he or she fulfills their mission of bringing God into a lowly world. And this gives a direction for every type of Jew, wherever he or she stands, to become a true Oivud Hashem, not by being in a dreamland, by denying the fire, denying the thorns, but by realizing, ki where you are today, right now, Sunday morning, Parsha shenayin or wherever, whenever that moment is, when you're listening to this or watching this, <laughs> is Admas take off your shoes and find, realize Hashem is here right now in your battles, in your struggles, in your ups and your downs, because that's, that's your Avedis Hashem. This is the perspective of Dagom Achne Ephraim. So now let's summarize. Let's summarize. When well, we now go back to the Midrashim, which spoke about the general story of the Jewish people, I think we could now revisit those Midrashim with a new depth. When the Tanchuma said, Why am I gonna be in the snare? Because I'm gonna be in the thorns with the Jewish people. It's not just in addition to the obvious, I'm in Golos, I'm not escaping Gallus, I'm not sitting on a beach in the heavens enjoying myself while the Jews are suffering. I am also being pricked by the thorns. It's not just on a physical level or on an emotional level collectively. It's also individually within every single Jew. I am there with you at that moment. When the Medrash Rabbah says, Rabbi Yeshua Ben Karcha says, Why the Sneh? There's no place that's devoid of the shchina, even the Sneh. We now understand what it means. It means don't ever think that when you have a Sneh in your life, the Shekhinah is not there. The Shekhinah is also there. And when the Medrash says further, that the Eish is mailah is It burns, but it doesn't consume. We understand what it means on both levels. Number one, it burns, and it still won't consume the thorns, in the Dagomach and Ephraim's interpretation, and in the Lukudetur's interpretation of the Samach Tzedek, means never ever think that a relationship with God means destruction. Repression, alienation, ultimate subjugation. If our children are getting the message that to be a Jew means to lose their taste for life, to lose their passion for life, to lose their individual creativity, to lose their simcha sachayim, then it's not God's name. What Hashem is telling Moshe Rabbeinu is, Make sure that the Yiddishkeit you're living and experiencing is a Yiddishkeit that teaches people that Bittu is the ultimate Metziyus, that a relationship with Hashem is the sea. It's the ultimate self-expression. It's the ultimate self-actualization. It's the ultimate joy of life. Why is it the ultimate joy of life? Because Yira Sashem lechayim, as he says. Yira Sashem Yohi not only does it not obliterate you, on the contrary, he says, this is Tachlis Shlemos HaMetziyus, because when you realize that you are essentially part of the divine, and the true reality is divine, so a relationship with the divine means the ultimate relationship with what? With true reality, with your own true reality, and that's what Bittu means. So therefore it's Sirefas, Reina And we understand why Moshe Rabbeinu says, madu alayivar. why doesn't it burn? Because he thinks perhaps the fire is fake, but as we're learning, the fire is genuine, Hashem says, even though, the snat remains intact. And this becomes the first message that Moshe Rabbeinu, the first Jewish teacher and Rebbe, has to discover before he goes to teach Torah to the Jewish people. This is the message that he has to impart to his Kla Yisrael till today's generation. And that is, you're looking at me. And I consist of a fire that burns in the snat, but va'asnei nanu The snare doesn't get consumed. And just like the Medrash says collectively, the Jews never get destroyed by the fires of hatred in the world, spiritually also. The fire doesn't destroy and obliterate the human being. On the contrary, the fire brightens up and brings out the deepest and the best of the human being because you and God are one and therefore in Hashem's fire, the you find its ultimate expression. Thank you very much and have a wonderful week. See you, God willing, next Sunday 9.30am. Have a wonderful week.